0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. The final week of Jesus' life is recorded for us starting on Sunday that we commonly know as Palm Sunday. On Monday, he goes into and cleanses the temple. On Tuesday, he gives what's commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. On Wednesday, we have Judas planning with the Sanhedrin his betrayal. Thursday, Jesus has what we commonly know as the Last Supper or the Passover meal and he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, which brings us us to Friday. Friday is the day of his trial, the day of his scourging, and also the day of his death on a Roman cross. I'm sure that you can remember a time in your life of great pain. Of course, we can think of many times of physical pain, a broken arm, a broken leg, a stubbed toe, perhaps. There are other kinds of pain that we can think of, like the pain of rejection, or the pain of betrayal, or the pain of abandonment. Even deeper pains like grief, times of pain upon pain, Good Friday can be commonly known as the day of God's most painful moment. The most painful moment that Jesus experienced. Chapter 19 opens up in John's Gospel. It says, so Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Scourging, it was a Roman beating is what Jesus endured. The usual instrument was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of various lengths, in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bones were tied at various intervals. And the man was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post. His back, his buttocks, his legs were then flogged and beaten. The scourging was intended to Weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. And as the Roman soldiers were repeatedly taking turns one after another, striking the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and the subcutaneous tissues. And then as the flogging continued, lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles. This is all contained in this one verse. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And of my life dedicated to reading and studying the Bible, I've learned over the years, there's so much behind the scenes of the written words to describe the intensity of what was happening. Often there were two scourgers, one on either side, with muscles lacerating, veins and arteries torn open, It wasn't uncommon for the kidneys or the spleen or the other organs to be exposed and slashed. Almost always, a man would die under this, not having to face the cross. If a man didn't die, the goal would be under the beating to elicit a confession of a crime that he didn't commit just to end the beating, and then he would spend the rest of his life in prison. But Jesus endured to the end. And at the end, he would then pick up and take up his cross, carrying its own load on his beat-up body. Crucifixion was a horrible way to die. You remember, it was just a few days ago that we entered into Jerusalem with Jesus, with everyone crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, or blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And now many of those same voices here, according to John's gospel in chapter 19, verse 6, you hear them cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And this is what they were asking for, crucifixion. It was invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. One Jewish writer says, and I quote, crucifixion was the most terrible and cruel death which man has ever devised for taking vengeance upon his fellow men. Cicero called crucifixion the most cruel and most horrible torture. Tacitus the historian called it a torture only fit for slaves. Not only did the Romans perfect crucifixion, but they also used it historically more than anyone else. Some estimate that they killed and murdered some 30,000 Jews by crucifixion. And it sent a message to those watching along, don't mess with Rome, don't cross Rome. And Rome, the Roman government kept crucifixion exclusively for rebels, runaway slaves, and the lowest types of criminals. It was so cruel that they didn't use it on their own citizens. So, crucifixion would have involved laying a beaten and battered Jesus. Listen, we know biblically that Jesus, the the body was so mangled that he was unrecognizable to those that didn't already know him. And they would take this man and lay on his open, lacerated, bleeding back a huge, rough, splintery beam. And the Roman soldiers would then take spikes five to seven inches long and hammer them between the two arm bones at the wrist, crushing the medial nerve. The pain was absolutely unbearable. In fact, it was literally beyond words to describe. So they invented a new word that we use often in our English language. They use the word excruciating. Excruciating. Literally, that invented word means out of the cross, They created this new word because there was nothing in their Greek language that could describe the intense anguish caused during crucifixion. And at this point, Jesus was hoisted on the crossbar and attached to the vertical stake, and his nails were driven through Jesus' feet. Again, the nerves in his feet would have been crushed. Crushed and severed nerves were certainly bad enough, but his arms would have immediately been stretched out probably six inches in length, and both shoulders would have been dislocated. This fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy that's written in Psalm 22, which foretold the crucifixion hundreds of years before it took place. And it says in Psalm 22, my joints are out of place, or my bones are out of joint, I should say. A man that was crucified would die either by asphyxiation or cardiac arrest. It was intended to prolong death crucifixion, not hasten it. And in many of the depictions of the cross, you'd see a little beam there that you could place your feet, or you might have even seen a little beam there that the person on the cross could rest. But the idea of resting only made things worse. As, as you would take the moment of resting, your body would cave in on its lungs and you would have even a harder time and more pain rushing through whether you chose to rest your body or you chose to hang. Torturous and painful is the words to describe it. And that's what Jesus endured for us. That's what we think of when we come to Good Friday. What we think of when we sing these words, when we think of the crucifixion. It says in John 19, in verse 17, that he bearing his cross went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Or in the Latin, it's known as Calvary. Where they crucified him. So you have John saying in verse one, they scourged him. And now you have the phrase, they crucified him. There's so much more that was going on than just simply those words. They also crucified, it says, two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And then Pilate, he wrote a title and he put it on the cross and the writing says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And even then, as he was tortured hanging on the cross, there were people upset with what was written as a title over him, saying he's not our king, he's not our king, resisting and rejecting to the very end. Well, the Bible goes on to tell us that he died on the cross. In verse 30, the last words you have recorded, Jesus receives the sour wine and he says, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus, he went to the cross as a victor, not as a victim. He willingly participated on our behalf. He gave himself for us. It says here very clearly, he wasn't a victim. He's the one that gave up his spirit. For you and for me. The Bible would say it another way. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus suffers in silence throughout all the hours of his interrogation and trials and torture and agony. The Bible says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opens not his mouth. And yet when the weight of humanity's sin was poured out upon him, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You that are Bible students, you know there are actually seven sayings and seven things that were mentioned on the cross in his last, the last ounce of his energy and breath and the final words. The word forsaken literally means deserted and abandoned and rejected. And that's Jesus hanging on the cross, crying out for us moments before his death. Those are shocking words to hear from our Savior, shocking They disarm us because it's really, what does he really mean, forsaken? We find ourselves on holy ground near the cross. If we can better understand what Jesus actually went through, it will change our minds. And as our minds are changed, our lives will be changed. I know for many of us, you know, having been in church for many years, the Good Friday, the resurrection services can become very repetitious. I mean, re- religious activity in and it itself can become very repetitious. And you know as well as I do, things that become repetitious can lose their significance. They can lose their seriousness. However, I believe that things do need to be done repetitiously. We do need to revisit these truths we do need to consider the forsakenness of our Savior, the declaration of it being finished. You know, as Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These aren't delusions of a man in pain. His faith was not failing him. I believe as Jesus was hanging there at this moment, he was bearing the sins of the world, dying as a substitute for us. Even as we personalize it, he was bearing your sin in that moment, in mine. To him was imputed the guilt of all of our sins. The suffering necessary, and his suffering was a necessary punishment for your sins and mine. We, weren't, we wouldn't be able to pay the price ourselves. And the essence of that punishment upon the Son of God was the outpouring of God's wrath against sinners. Sinners. In some mysterious way that we can never fully understand, during these awful hours on the cross, the Father was pouring out the full measure of His wrath against sin and the penalties for sin. And the recipient of that wrath was God's own beloved Son. Listen, God was punishing Jesus as if He had personally committed every wicked deed committed by every wicked sinner. And in doing so, He could treat and forgive Those redeemed ones, as if we lived Christ's perfect life. Now, we know this event happened. We'll see in a few days as we celebrate the resurrection. You know, that's the thing for us. For us, we have the full story, we know what happens, but everyone that's surrounding Jesus at this time is living life in in real time. They don't know yet how things will resolve, they don't know yet how things will end. Even as Jesus prepared them, they don't quite know what you and I know. And we know that in a few days we'll celebrate the resurrection and we'll celebrate life coming out of death. We'll celebrate the goodness of God in showing his perfect sovereign plan for you and for me that would stretch from what we're reading here, would stretch far into the future, reaching you and me thousands of years into the future. But it's important for us on this Good Friday to understand that sin produces separation, sin. It separates friends from friends, parents from children, mankind from God. Even here, it's separating for brief moments the son from the father. And the Bible says that God cannot look upon sin. The Bible describes God as you are pure, you are of purer eyes than than to behold evil. And cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Jesus was forsaken by God so that we can never have to be. We've learned in Hebrews, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it is with these final words that we saw in verse 30, it is finished. These are the final words, it is finished. The suffering of Jesus is finished. The rule and reign of sin is finished for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Even talking to a brother today about things in his life, I asked him a question and his answer was, what are you talking about? Because he's living in the victory of Jesus. It's the past, no longer the present. Not only were Jesus' sufferings finished, but also the law's requirements were finished. Jesus fulfilled the fullness of what God required. Not only that, but our redemption was finished. Because Jesus' death on the cross was once and for all sacrifice, complete. It says in Romans, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? Because with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In John's gospel, it says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took the body of Jesus. Why? Because we learned earlier that he was already dead that the soldiers didn't even need to check because he was already dead. Blood and water pierced out. Notice, he, it says Nicodemus, who had first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And that's how the chapter ends. And that's how we'll end our time today on Good Friday as we enter into the weekend. We end with Jesus in the tomb. declaring it's finished the soldier's piercing his side with a spear and finding that blood and water comes out no need to break his legs they take him down wrap him and gently place him into a tomb and everybody scatters and goes back to life and that's how they lived we live with some anticipation because we know how it ends but their anticipation died, was buried. And so, Father, we uh, consider today the reality of even things that have been buried in our lives, maybe loved ones, perhaps dreams, marriages, difficulties. I, I really believe, God, today among us there are some that are really hopeless, under the weight of their circumstances and situations. They've seen, they've looked, they've assessed, they've, everything that they've come to figure out, they conclude. And I pray in particular, they concluded that that's it, it's over, it's done. And Father, because we know, we pray resurrection life into those things. I pray for the downcast and the downhearted to down, you know, the, the discouraged and the downcast and the, the greatly um, hurting today. Brokenhearted. We leave here with a solemn sense. Just having to deal with reality in a sense soaked world where things are not fair where injustice abounds, where rejection of you is far greater than probably at any other time in history. And although we, we know you were buried, God, we acknowledge to you that you rose again and we receive you into our lives and we receive that resurrection power of hope, Lord. We celebrate it in a couple of days, but we live in hope every day. And so I pray your blessing and your encouragement and your strength over over us this week, next couple of days, God. We're grateful and we express that today. We're thankful for your death and the price that you paid to forgive us of our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.